Welcome once again to the Suburban Vicar podcast. I'm your host, Steve Silverthorne. The Suburban Vicar is a podcast on how faith and community can intersect to help neighborhoods flourish and nurture the human spirit. So here's the question of the day. Are you a good neighbor? That's something you may have thought about while watching Mr. Rogers when you were a kid, but perhaps it's time to think about it again. Christians hold to the belief that our greatest responsibilities in life are to love God and to love our neighbor. These responsibilities are given to us by Jesus himself, so they are kind of a big deal. But if being a good neighbor is so important, why are so many of us so bad at loving the people we live next door to? Sadly, few of us even know our neighbors' names, let alone love them. So how do we start being more intentional about being a good neighbor? Dave Runyon is co-author of the book, The Art of Neighboring, Building Genuine Relationships Right Outside Your Door. I speak to him today about his book and how we can deepen relationships with the people we live next to. He argues that by taking simple steps to form friendships with the people around us, we can start putting into practice that divine commandment to love. So have a listen and learn how simple it can be to start strengthening the social fabric of your neighborhood. Dave Runyon, welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's great to be here, Steve. So first off, your book is The Art of Neighboring. So why did we need a book about neighboring today? <laughs> well, I don't know if we needed a book, to be honest with you, but, um, you know, the book came out of my friend and I's story. We were both pastors, um, and Jay still serves as a pastor at a church here in the Denver metro area, and we were gathering together with other faith leaders, trying to think and pray about what we should do together if we could just focus all of our people on one thing in our city. If we wanted to go and to, to make the gospel tangible in our community, what would that look like? And so we had thought about all kinds of different things, um, but we really weren't sure what the smartest thing to do was. And so we invited in our mayor. We had a meeting with our mayor, and we just posed the question to him. And he had all kinds of great answers. You know, he wanted to think about financial debt and elderly shut-ins and single moms living below the poverty line. But at the end of our conversation, he very much just in passing said, you know, if you guys want to have the biggest impact in our city, you should think about starting a neighboring movement. And that one comment, and then he went on to say some other things about how uh, proximity-based relationships actually take all the weight off of the systems that our government's trying to create for people in need. So, you know, he talked about we have another program for elderly shut-ins or that person who's growing older and who doesn't have family around could live on a block where they're known and cared for by their actual neighbors. And, you know, he said this beautiful line when we kind of were pushing him to tell us more. He said, you know, what we're learning at the city is that relationships always trump programs. And that exchange just wrecked me because I, as a pastor, was not really engaged in my own neighborhood. I was serving on the board of different nonprofits, and I was trying to help people figure out life with their kids and with their marriages and all the stuff that, that you do or that I was doing as a pastor, but I just hadn't taken time to engage with what was going on in my own neighborhood. And, and I, that moment with the mayor kind of made me face that. And, and I had chosen how I wanted to love my neighbor instead of actually thinking about proximity and what was going on in my own block. And so on unwinding that, has been an incredible, incredible experience for me, and it's been messy and beautiful and 
uh, powerful all at the same time. So why do you think it's so difficult for people to have those kind of relationships with people that are in proximity? Because it seems to be something that's pretty common across our culture, that you can be friends over social media with people in Australia or something, but somehow don't know your neighbors or have any meaningful connection with the people you live close to. Well, I can only speak from personal experience. And for me, the reason why I didn't have relationships with those people is because I think I knew in the back of my head that like, I might not have a lot in common with them or that there were some of them that those relationships were going to be really messy and, or maybe I just, or, or even needy. And so I think, I think I had just, it's easier to just choose relationships based on affinity instead of location. And so, but I, I think there is genius in the, in the proximity piece. I mean, there's something beautiful that happens when you start spending time with people that you don't choose, you start to fill in each other's gaps. And it can be mildly awkward at times. Or it can be really awkward at times. Um, but it's also, if you push through that awkwardness, it also ends up, you just end up creating these amazing reciprocal relationships. Sure, that makes sense. Um, but I think one of the things that you, you mentioned in the book is that another reason that's difficult for people to form those relationships is just, it's not just that you may have differing uh, you know, interests and, and things, but also I think a lot of us are probably afraid of rejection. So how do you think people get over their fears? Like they don't want to come across as needy. They don't want to come across as weird, especially not weird religious types. How do people sort of bridge that gap yeah. of fear? Yeah, you know, it's true. I think that a lot of us um, have some fear of either rejection or just fear of like, what What if these people live around me have had bad experiences already with people from the church world? And so I think I think it's true. There's The, good, the odds are pretty high, unfortunately, that – your neighbors have had some strange experiences with Christians throughout the course of their life. And so I think the best thing to do is just understand that and to go in knowing that the purpose isn't to evangelize your neighbor necessarily that, you know, that's not your ulterior motive. I mean, sure. Ultimate motives are that we want everybody to have a vibrant relationship with God. But when we in our culture go in thinking, Hey, my only goal in this relationship is to get my neighbor to think like I do. Our neighbors sniff that out. And it, it just ends up fake, and uh, it, it doesn't create good soil to create real relationships. When we go into relationships knowing, even if this person never takes a step towards God, the command to love my neighbor still stands, and to, to engage that person still stands. And so, you know, that's one of the things that we've learned is that posture really, really matters. And so going into some of these relationships and go, knowing, hey, some of these neighbors um, are, are going to have had you know, have had things happen that have them on guard with you. And some other neighbors just aren't going to want to know you at all. It has nothing to do with the fact that you're religious or not. It just is they're busy and they don't find value in it. I have, I have a lot of compassion for my neighbors like that because I think some of my neighbors experienced me like that for a long time. I was running around doing a bunch of ministry church stuff and I wasn't very accessible or approachable in my own neighborhood. And so and, and to those neighbors, I say, don't stalk them. Just allow them you know, you, you can tell who the people of peace are. Certain, some of your neighbors will lean towards you. Some will be neutral and others will be very closed off. And I would say I would invest time in the people who are neutral or who lean towards you. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think uh, coming across as needy immediately or, or too 
high pressure, even if you're not religious, automatically makes people think, well, what is exactly that they're wanting to get out of me? Maybe um, they're going to show me their Amway products or something like that, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, if we're trying to avoid that, we don't want to be coming across as needy or super religious, but also giving people their space. Like, what are some initial steps that you might take just to to start building relationships with people that maybe you don't have any relationship with? Yeah, well, the first thing that I had to do in my neighborhood is start to learn my neighbors' names and remember their names. I had met most of my neighbors multiple times. Um, but the truth is, and this is the harsh truth, is that they, many of them, they just weren't important enough for me to remember their name. And so I had to have a series of mildly awkward conversations of, you know, seeing people that I'd waved to or that I even met multiple times and just say, hey, listen, this is embarrassing, but I don't know your name. I forgot your name. And there's something really beautiful about doing that. There's something that's, that's really special about just being the type of person who can admit that and then get a name. And then I just started writing them down. So, you know, we have this little tool called the block map tool and we have a refrigerator magnet and we help people just use this tool to learn and retain and use their neighbor's names. And just doing that, you know, so much of momentum is just getting started. And so just doing that, just being the kind of people who can, you know, say you're important enough to remember and use people's names, you'll be shocked at how much you get just from just from that one act right there. Right, yeah, I think that works in the church as well. I mean, embarrassingly enough, especially when a person's new to my church, even though we're not a large one, they give me their name as they're walking out the door, you know, nice service, and then they come back the next week and have forgotten. Uh, I just learned keeping a little book next to me and writing down their names is actually a really helpful way of making them feel like I actually yeah. care that they're there. Yeah, that's right. So uh, another thing I was wondering about was, You'd mentioned, uh, or we just talked a little bit about rejection, but you also talked about messiness, which is, I think, one of the other fears people have is they're going to get sucked into somebody's dysfunction, right? Like maybe the, you know, the family's got a lot of problems or they're particularly needy or you're going to get in over your head. Um, what are some suggestions you might have to sort of alleviate that fear or maybe put up better boundaries? Yeah, I mean, there are going to be times when you want to have healthy boundaries. I mean, there's certainly times for my wife and I and for our family when we're like, hey, we're we're actually connecting together and a neighbor wants to spend time and maybe it's one of the neighbors that's a little bit needier and wants to spend time with us. And we just have learned to have honest conversations around that. But I would say this, if, if you feel like it's messy, if you feel like your intention, then you're doing it right. <laughs> so that would be, that'd be my, most people don't get to the messiness. And so I, it, especially most believers in North America. And so I would just say, you know, if you're struggling with that way to go, it, that's a good, that's a really, really good sign. And I would just say that that's, you know, and Jesus doesn't call us into a life of comfort, by the way. I'm still, still haven't found that part of the gospel. He calls us into a life of putting others before ourselves and of radical generosity and love. And so I think this is one of the best ways, you know, the neighboring thing, it's the antidote to hanging out and spending time with people who think about the world the same way that you do. And so you know, this is, it's just, a, it's been a gift to me and to my wife and to those of us in my city that have really leaned into this. Yeah, I, I found it's got some similarities to, to like having kids. I mean, both of us have children, but you suddenly realize that there's something in your life that's now going to demand, uh, you know, your attention or maybe make you change your priorities because they're right there and demanding it. 
And I find that's actually something that's made me grow. You talked about that earlier as well, about when it comes to neighbors, right? It's that sometimes getting into messy situations actually makes you go beyond and, and put somebody else's needs before yourself, which strikes me as a pretty important part of what the gospel is about. Yeah, no, that's a great analogy. It is like having kids. I, I don't know what the listeners' kids or your kids are like, but my kids are hard. Yeah. And being a parent, being a parent is one of the hardest things I've ever done. Absolutely. But also, I never want to. I never want to go back. I never want to go back. And like, that's that's how I feel about neighboring. It's it's hard and beautiful, and messy. But and I don't ever, I don't ever want to go back to the way that I used to live. There's something so sacred and beautiful about knowing the people that you live around and being part of, of a micro localized community that I don't have zero desire to, to live like I used to, which was in kind of ignorance of what was happening and what God was doing right around me. Yeah. I, I just, I found the same thing is, is sometimes you can get relationships, which are all sort of uh, acquaintances that are standoffish and everything just seems antiseptic. Right. Um, but it's just really, really nice right. when, even when you, run out of sugar while you're baking muffins or something to be unafraid to walk across the street and knock on the door and say, do you got some sugar? Uh, that's actually just a really good feeling because there's, you know, sugar's not much, but it's the sense that you're not a, an island and neither are they. Yeah. And doing something that small, Steve, you know, like, you know, walking across the street and borrowing one thing or two things instead of going on the 20 minute round trip to the grocery store. That's like a one. It's, it's just a win on every level. Because there's, when you, especially when we as believers allow other people to, to serve us or to give to us instead of just always being like the people who are running around trying to serve everybody else, there, there's an exchange of dignity that happens there. It's really small. And I, I've learned this. Like in small, in neighboring, small things make a really, really big difference. In asking to borrow something or just being curious about somebody else's passion, those things go a long ways. Yeah, no, I agree, and uh, it, it just everything just seems a lot more human, right? Which is what I think a lot of people struggle with today is to just sort of feel like they're a cog in the big machine. But having something where a person depends on you and you depend on them, there's something about that that's just life giving. I I couldn't agree more. So. Um, I don't know why I'm always dwelling on the problems, but the other problem that sometimes happens is uh, you'd mentioned busyness, right? Which is people don't have that kind of um, you know broadband uh, width to take time for real relationships. Do you got any advice about how, as a pastor, I can encourage people in my congregation or how just as individuals we can do a better job of making space in our lives to make relationships happen? Yeah, time is the biggest barrier for most people. I mean, having enough margin in our lives where we are able to connect with and just be present, like just spend time in our front yard or in the lobbies of our apartment complexes or whatever it might be. Um, this is the number one barrier. And I just think, I think most people are tired of living by the tyranny of the urgent. You know, I think most people are exhausted with just, you know, going from one thing to the next, to the next, it, and I'm talking about believers and non-believers. We just, there's just, we know deep down there's a better way to live. And one of the things that this neighboring thing did for me is it, it gave me a practice that helped me like when I was working to work hard. And then when I wasn't working to not work and just doing that has, has like breathed life 
into me on a number of levels. And so I can't say enough about the power and the, (laughs) the gift of being able to learn how to be present and available in the places that we live and how it impacts every other area of our lives. Yeah. I also found like you talk about the tyranny of the urgent. It also has this weird effect where I'm always running from one thing to another and it in one sense buffs up my ego because I'm so important. I've got a million things to do. But on the other side, it leaves you with this constant sense of burden. Like you're constantly always chasing the eight ball and in a flip way when you're, allowing space to maybe cancel something or allow space to you know be flexible uh and, and respond to the moment it it's not it's not the same thing you feel important but you don't feel prideful i don't know if that's the right way to say it but like you've made a difference in a person's life or you've had a human interaction and instead of puffing me up and making me feel proud it just makes me feel worthwhile and valued and it's really hard to convince people of it until they do it but when they do you know, human interactions really, really matter and help us to feel valuable and part of a community. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So one of the things that we uh, sometimes encounter when we have neighbors and interactions with them is uh, conflict with them. I mean, just as an example, this past summer, uh, I had a you know mild uh, disagreement with a neighbor about my dog peeing in the, the green space between our, uh, between our homes. And so I don't know if you have any suggestions about how best to reconcile with neighbors or how to model reconciliation when you have those kind of petty little disputes that sometimes really poison relationships. Oh, hold on. You got to tell me more about this. So it wasn't number two. Your dog was going number one. And it was just—it was yeah. off the I, This is a new one for me. But so see, tell me, tell me more about what happened. That's exactly it. It's like, okay, if my dog's crapping on your lawn, no problem. I get it. That's irritating. But the dog was peeing there, yeah. and the fear was that it was going to uh, kill the lawn. Now, I, it didn't. I didn't see any evidence of that. And then, even if it does take a spot, then you know, you water it and it grows back. And here, of course, a lot of times we have uh, summer is is hot without a lot of rain, and so the the lawn gets brown anyway. So that was exactly what my problem was, which is, you know, I have this righteous indignation saying, like, what are you insane? This is stupid. Why would you introduce this into our neighbor relationship and poison everything? And also irritated me because my doggy, I like to sit on the deck there while she's running around and I'm not paying attention. If she drops a deuce, then I'll go pick it up. But, you know, I'm not really paying that much attention. But then I found, <laughs> found yeah. yeah, and then I, then I thought, you know, who cares? Like, I, I can pay better attention to the doggy and make her not pee. Uh, because it's better to, to make some sacrifice for the sake of the relationship with the neighbors so that we're not always eyeing each other when we take out the recycling. Yeah. But there is an example of those sorts of things. Like, thankfully, I haven't had anybody, you know, bother about the, the leaves on my, uh, on my tree or things falling off. But those are the sorts of things that I find often waylay neighbor relationships, right? Is, is they just seem like sometimes yeah. the smallest, pettiest, stupidest things get blown into something really big and then you don't want to back down because you feel like you're in the right. So I guess my question is sort of like, how do you, how do you know when it's not worth fighting over? Um, and how do you, you oh, know, yeah. t- take the better part and say, you know what, I'll, I'll take the part of not letting my dog pee, even though I think it's stupid. Totally. That, it's such a great example because oftentimes what derails neighboring relationships are things like this. It's real. It's relatively small things, but you just go, why is this person so upset about this? It doesn't make any sense. And then it creates this mild animosity between people, but 
when you see people all the time and there's mild animosity, it usually festers and grows. It's just something small. It's very easy for something small or even something big. Let's say the dog is just barking on seven night and it's hard to sleep. And you, you get a chance to engage in all of these minor interactions that can go one way or the other. I think, and when, when we share our story about neighboring so often, people will start thinking about a neighbor that they've already had issues with. And I think I'll just be honest with you, like taking Jesus's command to love your neighbor seriously and literally it, it creates space for us to start to think about how can I live as a peacemaker? How can I die to something like, I think what your neighbor did is dumb. I hope he doesn't listen to your podcast, but I think it's great. I think like, really, you just like your dog is peeing in a common space. That seems very, very mild, but it does give you an opportunity to go, okay, this guy obviously has an emotional thing going on here with this. I wonder what I could do just to be a peacemaker. I wonder what I could do just to show him and to say, you know what? Hey, I heard you and you're important enough for me to acquiesce, even if it's a stupid request, you know, and I just think over and over and over again, our neighborhood, we have chances to serve as the peacemakers. There's so much mild and major conflict going on all the time. And I think what God wants us to do, he wants us to be in the middle of that. He wants us to be demonstrating what does unconditional love look like? He wants us to be saying, what does it look like to be the kind of person when there's been a past history with a neighbor that's just gone wrong to be the kind of person that can say, you know what? Hey, you know, you just encounter one of your neighbors while they're on the front and go, Hey, listen, I know we've had some stuff before. I'd love just to have a clean slate and just to, to move forward. You know, the, the difference between living in a neighborhood where there's conflict and tension in the difference between, you know, you drive by that person's house every day and you just get this little pit in your stomach versus like you drive into your neighborhood and you actually look forward to seeing if anybody's out front. The difference between living in those two types of neighborhood is massive. It's massive. I would t- pay $100,000 more or less to live in a neighborhood like that. You know, I just would. I, it, it makes that big of a difference in the way that we live and the way that we experience our lives. And so when you, when you have a long view around that, then it becomes very evident of like, wow, we as believers have the opportunity to create places like that to live in. And do we have the opportunity to create shalom? Yeah, and it's an exciting thing to be part of, to realize that sometimes it's just small steps and, uh, you know, metaphorically turning the other cheek that allows peace to sort of flourish. Uh, it sort of feels good yeah. to not be in conflict with your neighbor. So, For uh, sure. We had mentioned earlier about the, the legitimate fear people have about a bait and switch, whereas Christians want to make friends, but we give off the impression that our friendship is just there so that we can give them a gospel pitch. And I think you're really right to say that that doesn't honor the dignity of other people because you, you sort of see them as an ulterior motive, and people don't respond well to that. Yet at the same time, in the back of my mind, I know that as a Christian, Jesus not only tells us the great commandment to love our neighbor, he also gives us the great commission, which is to go and make disciples of all nations. So how do we fit in that commission with the commandment? How do we love neighbors in such a way that we do promote the you know, ultimate motive of, of wanting them to have a, a better relationship with God, but without being some sort of cheesy Bible salesman kind of person? Yeah. That's a great question. You know, I've really come to believe that we all share what we love. 
And that goes for our spiritual lives. It goes for, you know, the things we love about, you know, gardening or fishing or a sports team or a hobby that we might have. And so I think that, that what happens is if we go into relationships knowing that the command to love your neighbor is a discipline, it's not an evangelism tool, so it's a way of living. Um, when you have relationships, it's way easier to share what you love. It, it just comes natural. It takes a lot of that fear out of doing that away. You know, I haven't had a lot of success in my life sharing off of tracks or preparing, you know, questions for people that I already have a formulated answer for, but I have had a lot of success in just sharing my life with others. And just, I, I think it's important for us to learn how to be curious about other people's stories. And what I've learned is when we're curious about their stories, they are also curious about ours and they invite us. They ask questions like, Hey, I see, I know that you guys go to church. Like, tell me what's that about? You know, being a kind of person that asks them after you get to know them for a while and say, hey, listen, you know, did you guys grow up with like any kind of church background in your family? Did you, did you guys grow up doing that? Looks like an innocent question that really gets you below the surface. And so I would, we just encourage believers to be curious and to share the things they love via relationship. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that when you... Uh... I mean, if you take the analogy of, of starting a romantic relationship with a person, uh, you know, you're curious about them. You want to know everything about them. And, uh, of course, that's also the way it is when you have uh, friendships, too. And I, it's interesting because that's one of the things that makes it so exciting to have a new relationship is, is that you often are completely way off base when you're looking at the surface of the person and you have no idea about some of the depths that are going on in there. And so regardless of whether the, the conversation goes to a spiritual place, it's just actually really fascinating to know what some people's lives are like. Uh, I couldn't agree more. That's exactly right. So a last question I wanted to ask was, um, you know, I'm a pastor as, as you've been. What are ways that you think that pastors or church leaders uh, can do a better job of encouraging parishioners to, to be neighborly? Um, in other words, how to motivate people to make time in their lives, practical suggestions for how they can prioritize this. Like, what are good ways to mobilize a church in this direction? Well, you know, I think it takes so much courage as a pastor today to say the same basic thing over and over again. And that's really what we've learned, that like the necessary thing to actually build this into the DNA of your church is to keep saying, hey, listen, what you do in your front yard counts. It's real ministry. Um, to say, hey, listen, you know, we want to be a church where if you're here and part of us that you're you're part of your neighborhood and your community and your department or on your block to get, to just say that, you know, to, to just keep standing up there with the block map and saying, Hey, listen, um, how many of your neighbors names do you know? Are you growing in this? Are you taking the, the next small step? It takes so much courage to say the same basic thing over and over again, but that's really what I would encourage pastors to do. Uh, we have a number of resources that are on our website that are just free. It's artofneighboring.com. And one of those resources is a pastor's cheat sheet. We've been doing this for 10 years now. Right. And in those 10 years, we've learned a lot from working with other churches. And so that cheat sheet, just it contains basically everything we've learned since we wrote the book. And so if you want to download that, that might be a really good tool for the ministry leaders that are out there. Yeah, that's, you know, I genuinely enjoyed the book. And one of the reasons I did was because of a lot of really practical stuff. That block map was great. And we're also... Uh, I have a 
couple that we're good friends with a couple blocks away and we're hoping to do a block party in the summer so your book has some suggestions about how to organize that and uh so yep. i really recommend anybody to take a look at your website and of course to buy the book but it's it's one of those things that was is an easy read and like you said not always complicated but uh oftentimes it's the small steps done well um that are the things that once you have that in place it makes it so much easier to form those relationships yeah exactly so I well say- i've really okay. enjoyed Go ahead. I was just going to say the same thing. I really enjoyed speaking with you, and I enjoyed the book a lot. And I wanted to thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. Well, I've really enjoyed being on the podcast, and I appreciate it. And I uh, just wish all of those out there the best of luck. And I would just encourage you to just learn your neighbor's names and then just start taking the next small step. And I think if you do, if you do those things, you'll be shocked at what happens as a result in your neighborhood. I think it's a great discipline to take on in Lent, which is what we're starting very soon. I love it. Okay, thanks again, Dave. Have yourself a good day. All right. You bet. That was Dave Runyon. His book is The Art of Neighboring, Building Genuine Relationships Right Outside Your Door. You can find it on Amazon or wherever fine books are sold. If you check the show notes, you'll find a link to his website, artofneighboring.com. Note to Canadians, don't include the you in neighboring. It has a number of great resources on how to be a better neighbor, so please check it out. As always, you can reach me on Twitter at SHSilverthorne or through the contact section of my church website, goodshepherdbarhaven.ca. If you like this episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe to the podcast by typing in The Suburban Vicar on Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts and then hitting the subscribe button. If you liked what you heard, it would be a great help if you leave a positive review. Tell your friends, and stay tuned for more next month. Until next time, stay rooted, my friends.